don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Welcome back to part three of Two Truths and a Lie, where I tell the second story before I do part four. I think I could have numbered this much better. But today I'm going to tell you another story. That one time in band camp story, except for it wasn't band camp. And remember, go back and listen to the first part, Two Truths and a Lie, to figure out what you're doing here. But you're trying to use those detecting deception skills and anything you can find in your own on the internet and anything you've listened to here to determine which one of these two stories that I'm telling is true and which one is a lie. That's what we're going to do right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. It is astonishing the amount of alcohol you can learn to drink while in the military. It's funny all the things you see about frat parties and college drinking, binge drinking, all of which I don't diminish in their concern. They got nothing on the military, especially those in the infantry and similar jobs that just love to put it down. And then sometimes it ends up becoming a lifestyle. So much so you develop a drinking problem like I did. And then one day you finally realize you can actually use that to your benefit when you find out how alcohol works. It's kind of cool. It's like that whole story about, you know, I shoot uh, pool better when I'm drunk or when I'm drinking. It's a saying here in America. There's actually science behind that. There's like this whole bar graph thing and about how you cross the bottom line of the graph with a certain amount of alcohol in your body. And then the top line, if you cross that, you're basically retarded. But in the middle there, while you're consuming alcohol, anything you do or learn, you tend to only be able to replicate under those conditions. So in essence, you could actually with the right supervision and training, train yourself to remember and do things with a certain amount of alcohol in your body. I'm not saying you should do that so you learn how to go and drive home because it's a horrible idea. No matter what your brain does, your body will not react appropriately. So don't do that. But I did have this cool thing, working with a Russian dude, getting to remember um, certain information because I was going to be consuming a lot of vodka and having to not slip up but remember certain things with a small amount, a functioning amount of alcohol, but not, you know, belligerent in the body, which has helped me because there's that famous question people always ask that I never like to answer. That's just inappropriate to ask veterans. And it always happens with somebody I know when I've been drinking and I always tell them 17 and I add a little statement on, which doesn't matter what that means, but I taught myself to do that because that's not actually the truth and I just don't care. I just get tired of telling people it's inappropriate and people always want to ask. So I tell them, hey, 17, that's the number. A number I don't even actually know the real answer to. 
But eventually, though, it didn't matter because I had a drinking problem. And I didn't know how to stop. I was spending so much money. And then, uh, in fact, I was spending so much money. Well, it doesn't matter. It was a lot. I'll tell you that much. I was consuming a couple bottles of wine a day or close to a fifth of whiskey. Not quite a fifth, but about three quarters of it religiously. I would drink five, six, eight drinks at home before going out to a bar. So I was drinking a lot. As eventually it caught up to me. I got a DUI, got arrested, and then uh, went to the court thing. And there's a lot of stuff involved in this. But when you show up right away, at least where I was, the first thing I do is offer you this plea deal where you go to jail for a day and pay some fines, take a couple bullshit classes and call it a day. Otherwise, you're going to jail for like 30 days or something. And several people signed it. And I'm like, no, I'm going to fucking court because... My rights had been violated, which fancy how that didn't work out when the uh, vehicle that had the camera was running when I was in the, in the police station can hear me, but it had a little bit of disturbance stuff or interference, but then it cut out for a couple of minutes right at the beginning of the conversation that I identified, and they knew the conversation probably happened, but they couldn't prove it, and during this conversation, my rights were violated, so... When it all came down to it, everybody else who took the plea deal, their shit was over and done with in a couple of weeks. Whereas here I am eight months later and yep, I got to go ahead and take the plea deal. Even though I'm in court, they're ready to call witnesses. They're like, yeah, this is going to cost this much money because you pay these witnesses. You know, I got to pay it. All this kind of stuff is going to happen. I've already paid a shitload of money just to have a lawyer, not have my insurance go up, all this other stuff. So I'm like, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go to fucking prison for a day. And it's just county jail. So you go in for 24 hours. You have to be there on a certain day at a certain time. And then uh, I picked whatever day, like a weekend or something. <clears throat> oh, my throat's getting dry. So I picked a, I, I think it was a weekend. And then that was the deal. So at this time, though, I'm in the Army. So the Army's not happy about this. But because I was doing strategic debriefing at the time, with the DIA, I mean, it's not unreasonable to believe that somehow the law enforcement communities communicated or whatever they figured out. Maybe the timing was just luck, but they wanted me, they contacted me and wanted me to change my date. And it was like, like the DOD was going to let me do all this. They knew I was in trouble. They were going to let me do this. They wanted me to change my date. The reason was, is I was going to go in earlier because somebody was going to be there who was, I don't know if they were Mexican national, but they were part of a cartel down there. Somebody of some significance. They weren't like a murderer. They were like a money man, something like that. I, I remember some details that I can't share, but it wasn't, wasn't a whole lot. The idea was I would go there and show up and be there the same time they were. And then I would try to talk to this guy. They would, they would try to work with the county to get us in the same cell because he was going to be there on transfer. He said, basically a nonviolent guy, but part of a violent organization. I'm a nonviolent guy there doing a, you know, a little stint for drinking. Pretty good matchup. I'm going to talk to this guy and try to get some information out and then possibly uh, try to turn him into somebody, which happening in a day is unrealistic. Like he's not going to become a source in a day, but something that can be worked with so the information can be passed off. And they're, they were trying to get something somewhat sensitive. They needed time sensitive. So... It sounds all cool. Like, it seemed like the movie thing. But uh, 
I was like, why, why would I do this? Like, I get why I would do this, but I can't believe you'd ask me to do this because I got in trouble. But the way it would work out with me helping and going before a judge, they're, of course, going to go to the judge. And then because I had extenuating circumstances, which was that recording, and they had a recording of me talking to my lawyer months ahead of time, telling them about this long before they ever saw Discovery and saw this tape and stuff, where there's every reason to believe I'm probably telling the truth, even though there's no evidence. And they're like, we've worked with this judge before. We're telling you this is going to work out. Your records will be clean. And they're like, you don't have to do it. Uh, but they're like, if you do it at all, it doesn't even matter if it fails. The fact that you agree to do it and show up, like it's going to be, you'll just have to write the paperwork afterwards, the reports, if there's any, and then, you know, that's it. And I was like, all right, cool. So it was funny going there because you're supposed to stay there for 24 hours. So you show up at a certain time and it was, it was in the afternoon. It was like three o'clock or four o'clock or something like that. Noon, maybe. I don't remember. But as I, I just remember showing up and then sitting there and I keep going up and asking them, they're like, it's okay. We logged you in. Your time starts when you showed up. And it'd been like four and a half hours. And I was like, all right, I just want to make sure because I don't want to do an extra four and a half hours, because, you know, making this big deal out of it. Because I knew the guy was already there. I had been told because when you're in my situation, at least in the county I was at, you, uh, you just drove yourself there and reported. No big deal. Parked your car. You told them where your car was, what the license plate number was. They're like, no big deal. It's not abandoned. And the next day, they're going to let you out. So I finally go back there and then... Part of the deal was I had to get enough attention, not get in trouble, enough attention that they wanted to keep me away from a lot of people and figure out where to put me or put me with, possibly put me in an area where, because the guys all wore different color jumpsuits or whatever they were. So I remember those guys that wore red were like, they were in there pending trial for serious crimes or they were known criminals or they were there doing real time, even though it was just county jail. Whereas everybody, I think, in orange was just a regular dude on minor offenses or like your DUI guy, something like that. So the idea was I had to get into a red jumpsuit, which would not be unheard of for somebody coming in for a DUI that had never really been to jail before that flipped out or whatever or acted violent. But I couldn't act violent because I didn't need to commit a crime. You know, I didn't need to do extra time. So when you go in there, they're like, they do like a strip search. They ask you questions. I hear them all do the questions. I see guys going to do switch, stretch, strip search. There's like five or six guys. I'm the last one. But they keep watching me, these two um, corrections officers. And they're watching how I'm sitting. Like I had my hands together like you're praying, but my fingers spread out so they could see them. And I kept them like that because it's something we used to do in the detention facility. I always kept my hands like that, the way I moved, how I sit, how I spoke to the officers. And they're like, where'd you do time before? I was like, I've never done time. And like, how do you know to act like that? I go, it just seems logical. And so I'm speaking better, but short to them. And they're like, what's your name? So I give them my name and they look it up. And this is like, this is happening while they're still talking to these other guys. So one of them is looking stuff up on me. And I'm like, all right, I've got the ball rolling here. So they're trying to figure out where I've done time. I tell them, no, they can't really push the issue because they can't find anything. And... There's little stuff like that happens, and then we go through the process of asking all these questions, and I don't remember. They're all basic data questions and stuff, and one of them's your job. I'm like, I'm in the Army, and they're like, well, what do you do in the Army? I'm like, I'm a non-commissioned officer. Yeah, but what's your actual job? And I said, that's irrelevant, and they go, you have to answer that question. I go, no, I don't because it's not on that questionnaire, and like, you don't know what's on this questionnaire. I said, 
these last five guys, that guy you asked that question, he said he was like a plumber or something. And this guy worked at a car dealership. This guy did, but you didn't ask him specifically what they did there. That's how I know that question is not on there. And they just kind of stare at me and I'd stare at them. And then when they'd look away, they looked away first. I would look away. So this goes on a few times and they keep pushing it. And I was like, here's a phone number, write it down. I give them the phone number and they said, what's his number? I said, this is to general so-and-so, the base commander. You can call him. If he takes your call, he'll tell you what my job is. Otherwise, no. Which is something I'm specifically supposed to tell them. We're supposed to get to that point where I can make that statement. And then they make a phone call. Thing was, <laughs> they didn't make that phone call, which I don't know if they're, I don't know if they knew what was going on or how this was set up. I just knew I was supposed to get to the point of making that statement. It had to make sense. And I, being a little bit obnoxious, not obnoxious, but like direct, direct and confident with them. And uh, the phone call they make, though, is to the county sheriff who's over the prison. And I can hear him talking and they're like, well, you know, we're, we're full up. And they're like, no, put him in his own cell. Or he's they're Well, they're saying like, well, you want us to put him in his own cell? They're like, if we do that, we're going to have to put like five or six guys in a room. And uh, they're like, okay. So then it gets to the point after that, I'm supposed to be strip searched. So I'm the only guy where they open the door, let me go in and they say, just put these clothes on and leave your clothes there in the bag. And then they don't stay in there with me. So I'm like, all right, these guys are scared. They're not showing it, but they're, they're scared or intimidated, I guess. So then when I come out, everybody wears shackles all the way to the cell, even these, all these low priority guys. So these other like five dudes are all shackled like together in a chain gang. <laughs> and there's one officer walking them. There might've been two cause there's like one officer at the back. And I think one was at the front of the side and telling them where to go and they'd walk them down and, you know, and they'd unlock the doors or whatever. So they let them go. I'm watching this happen. They get a ways in front of me, at least one section of locked doors. It's like 50 feet through the building. And then I'm by myself there's an officer in front, an officer to my left and to my right and two behind me. I'm surrounded by five officers. So at the time I thought that was because they were really concerned with what I was going to do, but it's actually because they knew what I was there to do. So it was more protection for me. But as I walked in, I watched these guys walk in and people, sometimes people would say stuff or they would all kind of just look at them. Nobody really said anything seeing who's coming in and all the guys walking in, which they all acted differently, like more, more pussy, like <laughs> looking away and stuff. I just stared straight ahead. So anyway, I ended up in my cell, long description, but there's a point to this. I ended up in my cell. I'm there by myself. I know the guy's already there. I'm given the wrong color suit. So I'm trying, I'm waiting to see what I got to do. And a few hours goes by and they show up with some food, which they just serve in like a Dixie cup thing. And the guy that's serving as an inmate who's terrified, like, drops it. And then the guard, like, tells him, go get another one or go get something to clean it up because they have a cart. And so as he goes away, I look at the guard and I was like, I noticed you have, like, five, six dudes in some of these cells. They're like, yeah, we're overcrowded. And I was like, well, according to the law, like, I, I laid this thing out to him. And I said, I don't know why you guys got me in here by myself. I just didn't hear for an overnight stint for a DUI. But what you're doing, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And I've been losing money being here. So somehow this has got to get figured out. So a couple hours goes by. Felt like a couple hours, probably not that long. And then they come and get me and then shackle me up and take me out of there. I end up in the red jumpsuit in another part of the prison. 
where I'm with dude. Which, this dude was not talking to the point of, you know, nobody considered the part where I spoke, didn't speak Spanish, I mean. I didn't speak it, don't speak Spanish. I know a couple curse words. And this guy would only speak Spanish, although they knew he spoke English. And, it, it, I mean, it got to the point where I wanted to say I know you speak English, but, I, I, you know, I can't go that far. Trying to get the guy to talk. And nothing, it was just boring, really, really boring. And didn't go anywhere. And, you know, eventually I get released the following day. And do my reports, tell them everything that happened. Of course, they can verify a lot of this stuff. And then that guy ended up going off to trial somewhere. And... People tried again to talk to him, and nothing happened. So it's a it's a kind of a boring story to me because nothing really happened. It it didn't even seem cool at the time. People liked the story. I've seen I've told the story to people and like really tried to make it even more boring, and they get really excited because it's like it sounds like a movie. You know, it's like oh man, you're going undercover in prison and you're gonna get the bad guy or you know get the whistleblower and save him. But no, that's not how the game plays out. This stuff almost never happens. It was just a fluke. You know, I got my reward out of it, but we didn't get, we didn't get the intel. And, uh, you know, hey, I hadn't drank in a long time after that. Had a lot more money, was able to secure myself and get my life straightened out, which was a good thing because I needed it because it was probably, I don't know, not long after that, I realized the med board process Medically retiring was in my future, very likely, which did happen about a year later. So anyway, hope you enjoyed the story. Sorry if it's boring, but use your skills. Try to figure it out because one of these stories is true. You just got to figure out which one. And by now, you might be figuring out why I picked only two stories. Because even if you haven't nailed everything down yet, I picked the two stories that I know make this a challenge to figure out which story is true and which story is a lie. So come back again because we'll have another podcast out in a couple of days right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.